The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. And I always enjoy our time together as we gather together to worship the Lord. Uh, it's just interesting. The Lord had that song in my heart this morning about 3 a.m. when I got up. Um, you know, I, I guess I learned something early on in life um, as a Christian. Many of y'all know my testimony, but uh, I just really believe when I came to faith in Christ that, that it was real and it was personal. And when the scripture says, call unto me and I'll answer you, I just believe the Lord will answer us. And uh, I guess I didn't know any better. And, uh, and I just believe God answers through his word. And I remember vividly as a young college student down there at the University of Mobile, had some kind of dire need in my life. And, and so I just resolved, I'm not leaving my dorm room until I hear from the Lord. Opened up the word of God. You know, I was one of them bold college students. I said, I'm not even going to class today. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. I'm, I can't leave. And, uh, you know, in my fervor and my prayer. But here's the truth of that. I mean, if you're intentional, you want to hear from the Lord, you can open up his word and call upon his name. And, and if, it doesn't, if he doesn't respond, then just sit there for a while. You know, I think we've lost sight of the reality that we can sit before the Lord as Mary did and hear from him. And that he desires to speak to us personally, to, to convey to you his plan, his purpose, his life. And so, you know, I, I'm, you know, I say that. I mean, it truly did happen, but I learned a long time ago, you can call upon the Lord. I, um, and, you know, and I, I just, I want that for you. I want that for us. Uh, as I gathered with our men last Sunday night, I was so encouraged by how many men came, but I was encouraged by the Lord because he promised us in Psalm 139 that if, that, that if, that, that he would search our hearts and that he would know our anxious thoughts, that he would see us as we are, really are and he will lead us. All those truths really hinge upon a personal, intimate relationship. By, by the way, a personal relationship with the Lord is intimate. I mean, I keep saying that. I, I know if you're around me long enough, I'll say it, say it over and over again. To be personal with the Lord means for Him to be intimate in our life. Uh, and, and, and it's real, and it's personal, and it ought to be. Shame on us if we make it anything else. Uh, if we can go weeks and weeks and not hear from the Lord, then something's wrong with us because God still speaks today through His Word, through His people, through worship. Um, and he, he has a plan and a purpose for you. I say that all the time. I, I just want to encourage you, if you're here today uh, and you believe God's leading you to unite with this fellowship next Sunday morning uh, during life groups, not to take away from our life groups, God has, you know, we have many of them across. Uh, this campus at 9.15, but we're going to meet in here in the sanctuary and go through what's called Membership Matters class. And I just invite you to be a part of that. Uh, I know there's stuff in your, in your uh, bulletin, but I just wanted to make mention of that. Also, men, I have a few more. By the way, men, there's a few more tickets left for the men's conference coming up uh, in February 16th and 17th. All right, now open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. One of those little books tucked away between Timothy and Philemon in your New Testament. Titus chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to share just a few verses here in just a moment. The, the, the message is about the firm foundation. Last week I shared the gospel. I'm not going to re-preach that. But God really has burdened my heart about us as a people of God, as a church, being firm in our foundation. No matter what we do, we need to, you've got to have a good foundation. 
Um, and, 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 and no doubt about it, God has given us clearly in His Word that a, that a strong church, a church that's uh, firmly rooted in Him, is one that preaches and presents the gospel. I shared that last week. In other words, I mean, that is, that is what our calling card is. That's what God has commissioned us to do, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's not just a good tune we sing at Christmas time to go tell it on the mountain. We ought to be telling that thing everywhere we go, no matter where we are. Uh, and and that's, the, that's the foundation. In other words, when the church loses the gospel, we cease to be the church. And so you've got to stand firm on what God... You know, I shared with you last week. I promise you I'm not going to preach it. Jesus already laid that foundation at the cross. And it's critical for us to recognize that. I, I don't want it just to be some preacher that preaches it, but we need to live that. Uh, as a body of Christ. And, and let me just break it down real, real simple for us. If you want to be strong in the Lord, then you, you as a Christian, you stand firmly on the gospel. It's the reality that He died for my sin, for our sin, that He rose again on the third day, that in Christ alone and nowhere else, we have this incredible new life in Christ. That's the gospel. So as a, as a child of God, I mean, if you want to be strong in the Lord, be strong in the gospel. All right, today it's about grace. Grace. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. Uh, let me, uh, before I get there, let, before I read that, let, let, me just, let me just make a statement here about grace. Uh, first of all, about the character of God. The definition of grace in your dictionary, if you have a theological dictionary, the term is unmerited favor. That means it's unearned, it's bestowed upon. And that sounds so stiff. But the reality is God has already declared in His Word who He is. Let me remind you in Exodus chapter 34. Let me just turn there just for a moment. Exodus chapter 34. If you're following me, let me get there. Exodus chapter 34, this is in verse 6. This is when the Lord reveals Himself to Moses. Remember, Moses asked, I want to see you. I want to know you personally. And, uh, and he came and stood in the cloud and stood there, in verse 5, with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And in verse 6, he passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming, here it is, this was God declaring Himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God declared who He is in His Word. Again, in Psalm 86, if you want to follow along, go to Psalm 86, verse 15. This is David. I mean, this is a, consi a consistent theme throughout Scripture. God revealing who He really is. In verse 15 of Psalm 86, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I mean, we see it real clearly in the Scriptures. In other words, the character of God. Who is God? God is a God of grace. God, in other words, He, he is grace. And it's, and it's in His character to, to reveal grace to humanity. Uh, even in our life group this morning, I mean, you go back to Adam and Eve and the graciousness of God in the midst of that sin. Even in Noah and the tragedy and the judgment and the horror and all that, you see the grace of God being proclaimed and revealed. God is a God of grace. Now, I say this at the very beginning, what I'm about to get into, and uh, turn back with me to Titus chapter 3, because sometimes I think we lose sight of this truth. This is truth. God is a God of grace. 
grace. Not just a good song, it's the truth about who God is. And for some of us, and maybe I'm the one included in this, is that we lose sight of that, that God is grace, and He is gracious to His people. I mean, oh, he, he, this is just who he is uh, uh, in his person. Now, let, let's read this text in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we see in this passage, there's a lot, and I know we're jumping into this little chapter here, but it is all about God's grace. And, 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 and in this passage of Scripture, there's several things that I want to share, just, just truth about God's grace. And you see this, and I think most of us will acknowledge this. I mean, you see it on your screen already, that we are first and foremost saved by grace. I know, I know that's, I mean, that's like... Preacher, you've been preaching that a long time. I mean, we, we, we've heard that message so many times. I get that. We need to hear that again today. And it needs to be proclaimed today. That's the gospel. In other words, uh, uh, one of the things we need to acknowledge is the depth of our depravity. In other words, we, there's nothing good in us. Paul said it this way. He said, all of us have sinned. All of us have missed the mark. Well, he makes it real clear. Look at verse 3 again. What, what was it like to be outside of Christ, outside of God's grace? It says we were foolish. That word foolish, is, 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 is in, the, in your Bible, it means someone who doesn't even acknowledge God. That we were just a fool. I certainly can testify to that, that I didn't even think about God, acknowledge Him, profaned His name. I was a fool that lived on this earth. I lived as if God didn't exist. That's what a fool is. And I was that, certainly. Now, you may not have been that fool. But he describes the depravity. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, envy, being hated, and hating one another. I mean, good night. It just doesn't get any clearer the depths of our depravity. Now, now I think most of us would agree uh, that, that there's no way that in and of ourselves that we can save ourselves. That we are all, I hope you acknowledge this, in need of a Savior. Now, to varying degree, there probably are some of you in here that were complete heathens. I mean, right? You probably did the checklist as we went through that list. Oh, yeah, that was me. Oh, yeah, that was me. Um, regardless of how well you identified with the passage of Scripture here, we were all, all have missed the mark. Some of you might have grown up in church and you realized you're religious, but there was no relationship. I mean, listen, you can be a religious person and still be full of this stuff right here. You know, being religious doesn't mean that you're kind or compassionate or resemble Christ. You don't know those things until you come to faith in Christ. I think that's why it's so hard sometimes for religious people to come to faith in Jesus. Because they really think their good works earn them a spot in heaven. I mean, they really think coming to church is somehow a checklist that God's doing up in heaven. Oh yeah, they made it today. Woohoo! You know, I mean, they really think that. 
Um, I have met so many people, they think literally by being good enough that somehow they're going to appease God's wrath. And that's not the case at all. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. The depths of our depravity are clear in this verse, in this passage of Scripture. The second thing is this, not just the depths, and I love this, is the amazing but of grace. You see it here, don't you? I mean, look with me here. In verse 3, at the end of that, we, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And then there it is, but. I want to say it's a big old but, but it's a but. It's huge. I mean, in, the, in light of humanity, this is huge. This tells us something that we need to take notice of. Unless there's a but in the midst of this moment, there is. There, we're hopeless. We are doomed to our sin. But, hallelujah, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, we see Paul makes this same statement, very similar in Ephesians chapter 2. I love the book of Ephesians. I mean, he says the same thing. He's talking about all these things that we were before Christ. He talks about the depths of our depravity. And at the end of verse 3, he says, Like the rest, like the rest we were all uh, natures, uh, we were by nature objects of wrath. In other words, all of us, the only thing that we're going to get is the wrath of God. And there it is in verse 4 in Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, rich in grace, made us alive in Christ. We see this. In other words, when, we're, when we acknowledge that we're saved by grace, we're acknowledging there's nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to even get there. Uh, that we are thankful that because of God's graciousness, His grace towards us, that He, he demonstrates His love. And so let, let me pause here just a minute. Because I've met many of people that have said to me, preachers said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think God can love me. I don't think he can love me because it usually involves like a whole list of things that they've done wrong or, or circumstances or situations in their life that have preceded that. And all of a sudden they get to the end and, and they'll say, I don't believe God can love somebody like me. Well, hold on. Because the Bible's real clear. There's a picture of God's grace. In other words, if you want to know how much God loves you, it, it is clearly portrayed. Paul uh, declares this, the Word of God, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates or portrays or pictures His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth about God being a God of grace is He didn't wait for me and you to get right before He did anything. In fact, he knows there was no way we were going to get right, be made right, but while we were still hostile, angry, full of malice, deceit, all these things, God demonstrates his love for us. That's grace. To God be the glory. If you want to look at a picture of grace, then, I mean, if somebody ever meets someone who says those words, I don't think God could love me, point them to Jesus on the cross. That's why the cross is so necessary. That's why the gospel is so important. It reminds us there's no way we're going to be forgiven of our sin or have the assurance of heaven outside of the cross. Uh, it's been said, not by me, many, other, many people, 
that the word grace is an acrostics. It just declares God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace. He is grace. How do we know He's grace? Look at the cross. It portrays, it's a picture of God's grace. Now, we're saved by grace. I think most of us in the house this morning would say, yeah, you're right, Pastor, that's right. We're saved by grace. I hope you would acknowledge that, because if you don't, then that means you're going to try to get there on your own accord, and it's not going to work out well. Because there's only one way that we're going to be accepted, forgiven of sin, and that's through Christ alone. There's, there's no way we can do that on our own. So, so there's a truth here about grace, that we're saved by grace. But the second truth is this, that we live by grace. This is where we get a little trouble sometimes as a believer in Christ, because we'll acknowledge, man, God, I need you to save me. And we confess that, and we declare that, and we believe that. And then we get up off our knees, and we want to live by our own accord. Not to single out men in the house this morning, but some of us can be kind of prideful and arrogant. Some of us can think, well, I'll just work hard enough and I'm going to get it done and I'm going to... And we bring that mentality into our relationship with Christ and, friend, you will utterly fail. Because, yes, we're saved by grace, but we also, in Scripture, are declared this truth, that we live by grace. He says it here. Look with me in verse 5. He talks about several things here. That He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of new birth. Gives an indication that we're brand new in Christ. This washing, I mean, you get the picture. The, the dirtiness of sin is now cleansed through the blood of Jesus. He cleanses us. He washes us. It talks about a new life that we have in Christ. That we can now relate to God, not as a sinner, but one saved Saved by the grace of God. Paul declared over and over and over again in these letters. You read them in your New Testament. He called these believers saints. Now, I don't mean saints in the sense of Catholic Church that you're going to be commemorated as a saint. I'm talking about it's a definition. It means that there's been a change wrought from heaven, washed in a new birth. How do we know this is real? Look at the second thing. Renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. Literally, verse 6 says we are filled with His presence. Present. That the presence of Almighty God resides within every child of God. Why? To enable us to live by grace. To remind us this life we live is not on our own, but by the grace of God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We don't earn it once we get up from our knees of confessing that we need Christ. We live, we live each day recognizing that it's only by His grace that enables me to live this Christian life. If you don't get that right, you're going to struggle as a Christian. You're going you're to completely fail as a Christian in your Christian life because you're going to say, no, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And you'll keep trying harder and He just wants you to trust Him. It's about God's grace. Now, there's some incredible things about this life that we have, this, that we live by grace. He says it in Romans chapter 3. I keep going back. Romans is a great book. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. That because of this life of grace, look at this. If you're following along. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. 
We are made right with God. That's what it means to be justified through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Why? Because God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance he had left these sins committed beforehand unpunished, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as, why? To be just and the one who justifies. In other words, God didn't overlook your sin. He just in his forbearance, his patience, he said, I'm going to wait because I'm going to deal with it completely in the cross. And so now we have been made right with God, not by our own merit. Please hear me, church. You don't come into the presence of God by your what you do or what you don't do. You come through the blood of Jesus. You come based literally on the finished work of Christ. That is how intimacy is first and foremost attained and remained in. We abide in Him. The reality is that we are made right and now reconciled to God, not because of what we did, but because of what He did for us. Now I say this because I know you're saying, Preacher, I've heard this a million times. Well, you're going to hear it again. Because I really, I I think we struggle with this as a body of Christ. I I, I think we live in a culture today that wants you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you do the best you can. And that's not living by grace. Doing the best we can, being strong in your own self is not living by grace. Depending on Him, trusting in Him, relying upon Him, that's grace. To acknowledge that's one thing, to live that's another. And let me say, we are called not just to be saved by grace, but to live by grace. Now let me share the last thing, is accepted. We are accepted into the beloved. We are accepted by God based purely on the grace that's been demonstrated in Christ. Look, And you don't have to turn there, but Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have been accepted by God, literally, so that it enables us to live by grace. Now, this is foundational truth of living by grace. What do you mean? Neil T. Anderson says, through Jesus we've been introduced to the grace of God. A grace in which we now stand and we will stand for all eternity. But just as God saved us, by His grace, so He will continue, listen to me, accept us by His grace all of our days. This is where it's going to blow your mind. Paul said His love surpasses knowledge. That means it goes beyond my ability to even comprehend. But it will secure me and strengthen me. Here's what he says. God accepts us. He includes us. And he receives us by when we turn to him and trust in Christ as his children. No matter what. You need to hear this. Please please hear this. God accepts us before we sin. He accepts us while we sin. And he accepts us after we sin as a believer in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Y'all not listen to me this morning. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is through the blood of Christ as a child of God. I have been cleansed, totally washed, renewed, made new in Christ. I stand in this grace. Not on my effort, not on my human effort, not on my good works. I stand by grace. 
And it is grace, my goodness, that'll make a good song, that will lead me on. It's grace that enables me to live today, to live tomorrow and forever. God, enable us right now just to wrap our little brain around your grace. God's grace. Now, please, well, you know, you always, whenever you say something, I'm really hammering grace today. And some of y'all are saying, well, what about my sin? I get it. I mean, assuming that some of y'all sin, I get it. You know what? God in his graciousness, 1 John 1, 9. I love that verse. I got onto that one pretty quick in my life. Confess it. What do you do with your sin? It's, it's, yes, it's sin. Yes, it's wrong. As a Christian, and what do you do? You confess it. You acknowledge to God, I've done wrong. I've sinned. You, you, you cling to the blood of Jesus and to His grace. And he, the Bible says He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse you. To God be the glory. God doesn't appreciate, doesn't like it. He hates it when His children sin and turn away from Him in rebellion. But please hear me, child of God. The reality of our sin doesn't negate the truth that God continuously, unconditionally accepts us in Christ. It is all by grace, by grace, His grace. It's amazing. Grace. Believing that, living that, enables us to walk in freedom, in truth. It enables me and you to be all that God's called me to be. Because see, if you don't believe that, then you'll define your relationship with Jesus by what you do or don't do. Or what you did or didn't do. Y'all with me? In other words, if you did something horrible, you'll think, oh, God hates me now. He's despised me. He doesn't like me. But if you live by grace child of God, then you understand His love for you doesn't change. It doesn't waffle because of your inconsistency. It is steadfast, immovable. It never stops coming. Hallelujah. Wake us up in the morning, dear Jesus. Overwhelm us with your grace that's about Pour it out. Set us free. See, I'm going to tell you, to live for Christ means you live by grace through faith in the Son of God. It's amazing. It's liberating, quite honestly. Life-changing. The last thing is this, that we're secured by grace. You see this in verse 7 of our text. So that having been justified, I've already shared that by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I heard it said not long ago, eternal life doesn't start in the future, it starts now. When Jesus said, I come to give you life and life more abundantly, He doesn't mean in the future. He means right now. Right now, as a child of God, you can experience life everlasting. Life this world knows nothing about. In Christ alone, you can experience His life. His forever life. His eternal life. Life that is not based on my circumstances, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. It is secured by God's grace Heirs of this eternal life. Romans 8 talks about it. Galatians chapter 4, Ephesians 3, verse 6. It's beautiful to know that we're heirs of eternal life. But friend, I want to take it another step further. I, I want to just take you. I'm going to close here. I'm going to land this plane in just a moment. I promise. I, I just want to kind of close this morning with Jesus' promise to us. In John chapter 10. You might be familiar with John chapter 10 in your Bible. But in John chapter 10, verse 27, this is, we're jumping right in, but I want you to hear these words of our Lord and Savior. 
the security. How secure are we in this grace in which we now stand? Jesus said, made this statement in John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, I'm going to emphasize, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. There's a lot that Jesus just proclaimed, but I want you to hear me. There is grace in which we can stand that is secured now and forevermore through the blood of Jesus. It just reminded me, I couldn't help it. I don't know what it is about songs. I hope all of you join the choir. I really do. That would be great. I could just turn around and preach on Sunday mornings. Oh, we'll get more cheers, Roy. We'll get more cheers. We got more coming. Um, it reminded me of a hymn. Now, it's been, it was written a long time ago, back in 17. I want to say it was 17 or 18, I'm sorry, 1834, just a few years ago. Some of y'all might remember it. Uh, I want you to hear about how secure, how strong we are in the Lord, in the finished work, in His grace. The hymn starts off like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and my stay. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Hear the words of this hymn. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Father, we come before you in the precious name of Jesus. God, I think about the grace of God that has appeared to all men. And I just thank you, and I want to thank you, Father, for your grace. Your grace that has awakened us this morning and brought us here to the house of the Lord today. God, would you open the eyes of our heart to not just to see you as a God of grace, but to receive all that that means in Christ Jesus. That not only are we saved by grace, but we live by grace. And we are secure by grace alone. God, right now, right here, I pray, Jesus, have your way in this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with your feet with me, if you will, church. Now at this time, we're about to sing a song of invitation. Friend, if you're here today, and listen to me, it's not about coming to see some preacher, but if you're here today and you need to do business with the Lord, do it right there. Turn to the Lord. Acknowledge Him. But friend, if you're here today and you realize that you need His grace, 
There's only one way, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I invite you to come. We're going to sing a song, but I invite you to come. If you're here and you know God is calling you here to live your life, to serve your life under the Lord here at Flint Hill, and just, we're going to sing a song. You come. Make that confession before God and His people today. Amen. Let's sing this together.